Thank you, Pastor Roman. <clears throat> we just sang a moment ago, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. As Christians, that is our confession. We come as people who chose our way for happiness, our way for life, our way for pleasure, our way for purpose and desires. And by God's grace, our way was illuminated, the sinking sands that we chose to found our life upon. And we found Christ, or Christ found us. Jonah has chosen the sinking sand. He got on the boat to flee from the presence of the Lord. And now in chapter 2, this prayer he makes from the gut of the fish is one in which he is honest and transparent with the Lord in the reality of the sand he has chosen to build his life upon those last several days. And God in His grace and kindness we shows us in this psalm what it is to pray from the gut. My hope for us is that my life will reflect Jonah in chapter 2. Especially in the seasons that I'm tempted to reflect Jonah in chapter 1. It's very possible you this morning find yourself having built your life at least in part upon sand and the heartache that comes from that. Would you look at the Scripture this morning? Would you respond and would you develop a heart of what it is to, to pray from the gut, an honest confession to the Lord, a turning to the Lord today that He would swallow up the components of shame and sin and it would be filled and returned and renewed in thanksgiving. So church family, what does it mean to, to be a people who pray truly from the gut in our lives? Let's look at, we look at verses 1 and 2 this morning. That instead of minimizing my distress... Now is the time to call out to God. As we saw last week in, in chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord in His kindness would use Jonah's rebellion to foreshadow Jesus Christ, the one who would come. Now, Jonah is experiencing his distress. His body is going into the depths of the water because of his own rebellion against the way and word of the Lord. Remember, as this whole book begins in chapter 1, the, the word of the Lord came clearly to Jonah, telling him to go to Nineveh, this great city and people, and, and preach the word that the judgment of God is going to befall them. And he, he rebels. He does not want that way. He chooses the sandy path. But in Matthew chapter 12, as we looked at last week, as Jesus told us, Jesus, too, His body would be placed into the depths. But not because of His sin, but because of our sin. The kindness of our God. We see today the heart of Jonah, who from the depths of the whale prays for the Lord's deliverance. And the Lord says, yes. In our lives, we can have a tendency to minimize our distress. When we look at Jonah's prayer in verse 2, we see that he, in a particular way, he mimics much of the psalm. This could be Psalm 151 of the 150 psalms. Notice what he does. There's three components as it summarized the following words he's going to say in verse 2 as he reflects upon what he did in three stages. We call it a calling to the Lord, a giving the Lord the context of his prayer, and then placing his hope and trust in the very character of God. In the character of God. So the Psalms oftentimes reflect this. The psalmist turns 
his attention to the Lord. He calls out to God. And then much of the Psalms are filled with a portion of informing God of the, of the real context and the dire circumstances, the distress that they're in. And then there's a shifting, though, of, of hope often that seasons the final because the Lord is good. And the psalmist, those that are in distress, place their hope and trust in, in the Lord, the refuge, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so let's look at these three components as we notice this in verse 2 as, as Jonah is recounting this season, this prayer from the belly of the fish. Number one, he called out to the Lord. It says it very simply. I called out to Yahweh, the Lord. It's the same one that he was able to describe, the God of the Hebrews. The God who is over the sea and the land as he described to the sailors last week. Now this is fascinating because it's because he knows the Lord. He knows God. He doesn't simply know of God. He knows the Lord. And because he knows God and, and who he is and his kindness, that's why he ran from God's word. God told him to go to Nineveh, and because Jonah knew who God was, that God could very well show them forgiveness and mercy. That's why Jonah left. He flees the will of the Lord. He flees the, the very command of the Lord. And he goes the opposite direction because he knows that God is merciful and kind, slow to anger and abounding in love, and faithful in a steadfast kindness. But now that Jonah is in the greatest moment of distress. He's experiencing the consequence of building his life upon the sand. Who does he cry out to? He cries out to the same Lord. He calls out to Him because He knows who God is. There's much that we could say upon this, but at the very moment, we have to make this application. Whatever sand you find in your life, of trying to anchor your hope and your pleasures and your purpose and your happiness and, and what you do with your sin... Call out to God right now. Give your life to Him. He is the one who made you and knows you in the greatest components of the depths of your life. And sin that nobody else in this room or nobody else in your life even knows about. He knows. And He is good and gracious and merciful and you could cry out to Him. Now the irony of this is that Jonah relies upon the character and the kindness of God while he's in the depths of the whale. And that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He so hated the Ninevites, these Assyrian people who have already, they've done some horrible things. I mean, they've, they've horrible sins they've committed. Not only committed, but committed against Israel. They've conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, raided them and plundered them off. He has reasons to hate them. But he does not have reasons to not obey, obey and abide in the Word of God. And it's in this prayer that he'll say, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is humbled in his circumstances and recognizes the ultimate confession that comes upon all of us when we enter into seasons of distress that we realize are outside of our own grasping and ability. You are God and I am not. Jonah recognizes salvation belongs to the Lord and not to your prophet Jonah. In our lives, turn your heart and call out to the Lord. And we'd be foolish to not make the point of application. Not only that Israel as a people would have found reflection in this point. The Lord would have certainly illuminated this and used this to show that Israel, this people that was to be a light to the nations, found themselves like Jonah, despising the nations, longing for the wrath of God, the just wrath of God to fall upon pagan sinful nations. 
But the irony in Deuteronomy 7.7 that He would choose them while they were yet the weakest of people. That He would show mercy and hear their cries and deliver them from that powerful, strong hand of Pharaoh. What a peculiar thing it is to see the people's lives who are marked by grace and mercy and forgiveness and the kindness of the higher one. That they would be a people that would not reflect that grace and mercy and kindness to others. So as Christians today, what a peculiar creature we would be if we would be slow to offer grace and kindness and pray for God's mercy to be demonstrated upon the lost. So ask the Spirit this morning, Lord, would You search my heart, search my conscience for people or persons or people groups that I have prejudices against in which I would more desire Your just wrath to fall upon them for eternity than I would for, to be a part of You showing and demonstrating kindness and forgiveness. And mercy, the same mercy that I've found in Jesus Christ, whose blood covers me over. So, a call that turns to a context of distress. What's he say? He says to the Lord, and hear my voice. He doesn't minimize his circumstances. How many of you, when you go out to eat, the waiter or waitress comes by, and before you can even assess if you need anything, you say, We're good. You ever do that? You just immediately, you, you minimize your context. You, you say you're good before you look down and then you realize we're out of water and we don't have the thing we ordered. But you just reflectively minimize your needs. That's a very small, simple example of what I think we can even do as Christians. How we can minimize our context. We can minimize our needs. Jonah is in no position to minimize his needs. But I wonder... How long was he in the belly of the fish before he made this prayer? As the fish went to the depths, did it make it 500 feet? Was it days? Was it a day that passed before he cried out to the Lord? How long until he was humbled to get to the point of realizing the Lord is the God of salvation and He is not? As you think about your own life, even today, do you find yourself tolerating the sandy ways of the world? and building your hopes on the things that are counter to God's Word, rather than the Lord Himself. I got this. Rather than being honest and vulnerable, for after all, as believers, how can we bear each other's burdens if we don't share them? How can we pray for each other and give godly counsel? How can we serve each other if we're not honest in our weaknesses? And so he does not minimize his context. And third, he says of the Lord, the Lord answered Jonah. Of course, this foreshadows Christ and and the descending and ascending, as Jesus told us in Matthew 12, we looked at last week. But also, this just shows the simple, knowing that, we shouldn't let this minimize the fact that God was kind and merciful to Jonah. So, when we get next week into chapter 3, and we we see the mercy that God shows upon the pagan Ninevites. They repent and they're broken from the king to the lowest of people. And we look and say, look how kind God is that He would relent and show mercy upon them. Jonah today is a picture of that same mercy of God. Look at the wayward prophet of God. One who knew the Word of God. Perhaps you this morning grew up and and you heard the Word of God quite often, but you drifted. You you, you got out of the fellowship of the local church and you built your life on, on, on the context of sandy things. 
Yet the Lord can show you grace and mercy today if you will but call out to Him in the similar way that He shows it to the pagan Ninevites who never knew Yahweh until Jonah would come doing what the Lord called him to do. A God who is gracious and merciful to those that grew up knowing Him and have heard about Him and those that have never heard Him. If we will but humble ourselves and trust in the Lord. The Lord answered Jonah, Therein, beloved, to pray from the gut is to cry out to God in our distress rather than minimize it. And secondly, as we look at verses 3 through 7, we get a lot more flavor of Jonah's situation. And we learn that instead of just catching God up, now is the time to confess to the Lord where we've been caught up. Instead of catching God up, now is the time to confess to the Lord where we ourselves have been caught up in sandy ways. Look at the depths that Jonah goes to describe this. I want to be clear as we look at what we're going to look at in verse 3, as you turn your eyes to chapter 2, verse 3. Jonah is not blaming God. He ascribes credit where credit is due. The discipline that Jonah receives is from the Lord who is good and loves him. The God who is love. It's the Lord that sent the waves. Jonah didn't go for an Olympic dive into the ocean. How did he get into the ocean? The sailors threw him in. Does he blame the sailors? No. He knows exactly where he is. Jonah desired to flee the presence of the Lord, and Jonah gets what he desires. He descends into the depths. His address is moved from Jerusalem to the cemetery. And in his direness of his circumstances of realizing his situation, he cries out to the Lord. Look at how he describes his circumstances. He doesn't pull any punches. Look what he says. He says, For you, Lord, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Verse 5, The, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The imagery. At the roots of the mountains, the depths of the ocean. I went down to the land where bars closed upon me forever. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away. Jonah is honest about his circumstances. All of us in our lives have spent time pursuing the ways of the world. The sandy ways. Even as Christians, we oftentimes find our attentions being distracted and pursuing thinking, maybe I'll find happiness and even greater pleasure in the sandy ways. And when we come to Jonah, as we understand what it is to, instead of just catching God up, to be honest and confess our sin, here's what we see. I want to be very clear in this before we walk through some examples. In Jonah, we know without a shadow of doubt the sandy context he finds himself in, in the ocean, in the gut of a fish, is because he ran from the way and word of the Lord. Does everybody agree with that? So, we know the context, okay? When we go to the book of Job, we see that Job is righteous. He fears the Lord and abides in his ways. And the Lord who is sovereign and good permits Satan to come and to and to bring him into unbelievable trials in which he loses loved ones and his health is stripped away from him and his possessions just 
boom, his great wealth goes away in a short amount of time. And Job doesn't get the picture of why that's happening, and yet he, he abides in the way of the Lord. And so we can make a mistake, I'm going to say this clearly, we can make a mistake of looking at our circumstances and saying, X is happening because of Y. So we don't do that. But what I want to say in this now, as we, as we consider what is it to pray from the gut, is as we update the Lord on the context of our life and the storms and the situations we find ourselves in, whether it's a, a, a rocky marriage or a difficult situation with a child or a friend or, or career or just dissatisfaction in our life, is like Jonah, we should be very sensitive and clear of how did we get here? And is it possible, as a confessing people, confession, assurance of pardon, of people that's saying, about Christ alone, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is. Well, we can say that with a clear conscience, so let's hit this spot with a clear conscience. Is it possible in seasons of our life that we simply catch God up? You know, it's good to get together. Hey, what's going on, Andrew? Good to see you. Andrew didn't even say anything. He just looked back at me. He's like, I didn't know I was going to be involved in your sermon right now. That's okay. So I said, so let's, let's play along here. Andrew, how are you doing? Hey, good to see you. Let's get together and catch up, okay? We get together, we catch up, and I start involving them and catching them up on some things. But here's the deal. Have you ever caught somebody up? Maybe even of a difficult situation in your life. But you left out some key details of how you were responsible for being in that key situation. Now, if I left those pieces out for Andrew, Andrew's going to tell me a lot of things I want to hear, isn't he? Probably. He's going to, oh, Brent, it's okay. It's going to be all right. And some of these things are encouraging and good. But because I withheld information from him, he really can't give me the godly counsel he needs to give me as a brother in Christ, can he? So my question is, if we do this with each other, even as believers, is it possible that in our prayer life we do the same sometimes? We bring our burdens to the Lord and we cast our cares upon the Lord as God's Word calls us to. But is it possible that sometimes we withhold a confession of how we've been caught up to bring us to that situation. So what I want to do is I want to share a couple of examples in this. There's zero judgment in this. I just chose four examples. And we could come up as a church family and share, even in recently, the last year, a number of years, how we've been caught up. And how it's hard to be vulnerable with the Lord and share, I, I might be reaping a little bit of what I'm sowing. And so let me give you a couple of examples of kind of a structure that we see and what it means to pray from the gut of when we can pray, but... Perhaps sometimes we leave out some details to the Lord. And then later on when we experience the consequence for leaving out details, we try to catch God up with it and have Him vomit us up out of that situation into dry land. Maybe not that word. I'm not going to use that word anymore. I know that's biblical, but that's... I don't want to forecast anything that could happen here. Okay. Here's an example. God bless this giant greasy pizza and the quart of ice cream to the nourishment of my body for the fifth time this week. <laughs> and then a few years later, catching God up to say, God, would you deliver me from my health circumstances? Right? Now, I want to be clear. We, we are to bring our health needs before the Lord and to bear them with each other. In 3 John chapter 2, we see that John says exactly that. He prays that their physical health would be as healthy as their spiritual health is because they're walking in the way of the Lord. So we should share and bring forth our health burdens. But we also need to be honest and confess to the Lord our responsibility for not caring perhaps for our bodies the way that we should as vehicles for ministry and, 
and gifts that the Lord has entrusted to us for as long as we have them. Number two, God bless this dating, mar- or this dating relationship or marriage I'm entering into. And the part perhaps that we leave out is that we know the person we're committing ourselves to does not fear the Lord. They don't walk in His ways. They don't care for discipleship and they don't treasure His Word. And then we catch God up in our circumstances a few months or perhaps years later and we ask the Lord to, to just fix our heartache that is a marriage of unequal yoking. For we've married darkness with light. And as many know in our context, that the heartache of having a different foundation, it ripples into our finances and our parenting styles and our goals and our dreams and our stewardship and every part of our life. And so, yes, bring our marriages, bring these most important relationships, familiar relationships to the Lord in prayer. But we should also, we need to be honest and vulnerable to say, Lord, here's some sandy ground that I know that I chose, thinking perhaps it would bring me pleasure outside of Your clear Word for my life. If you're in that context, I don't say this to shame you in this way, but I say this to say the Lord loves you and cares about you in your distress. Call out to Him like what Jonah did. But be honest with the Lord where you've been caught up in your own way. Number three, You're like, how many of these is he going to give before I can get out of here safely? Too many. That's how many. Number three, God bless my hobby. God bless my child's sport team with fun. Teach them life lessons. And if they win, that's great too. What do we leave out? But Lord, I know this commitment I've allowed my child to make or I've made will cause me to neglect corporate worship with my church family for most of the year. And so, with all of these things, my sermon today would be about 75 minutes if I gave all the qualifiers for each of these. I don't write my sermons thinking of anybody, so don't feel that this morning. And it's so important that we qualify some of these things, okay? So, so one thing, we want to be clear, every man and woman is responsible for their own sin and their own decisions. And if you've got prodigal children, you can, I see so many believers today that, that beat themselves up more than anything and think, what if I just did something different again and again and again? Don't do that. Yes, confess it to the Lord, but don't stay there. But you can use examples. We can use examples and think of people who had parents who walked with the Lord faithfully and prioritized corporate worship. They were a part of groups. They served the Lord. They practiced hospitality. They practiced family worship. And their kids today who are grown have nothing to do with the Lord. And you can use other examples, and and many of you in our congregation are examples. Many of you had parents that had nothing to do with Christ. Some of you are most faithful disciple makers. You love the Lord. The the love of Christ just oozes from you. And so it's not a put this in and you get this equation that comes out. But as parents, when we hear that we should train a child up in the way they should go, that's a warning proverb. It goes both ways. And so what we want to do is not just simply say, child, what do you hear me say? We want to say, child, what do you actually see and believe my priorities are? And so in this example, it's simply, if hobbies or sports collide with the gathering of God's people, is the one of gathering with God's people the one that always takes one for the team? Literally. And if we're modeling for our children a faith that costs us nothing, 
and cost them nothing. If they confess faith in the Lord, should we be surprised when, when they get older and become adults? If they can't find anything else to do, they'll go to church. So, so our faith should cost us. And in this, we should also trust the Lord that He's still good and that He can still make these things right. A heavy heart will speak to that in a little bit more. Number four, God bless my mental health. Though I'm knowingly, the part we leave out, is though I'm knowingly consuming hours and hours and hours of screen time and social media and choosing to water my heart with lustful images. And then we catch God up asking Him to help us with our comparison issues and anxieties when getting rid of a smartphone or leaning into accountability in the church family and creating healthier habits is nowhere on the docket. The parents, just, I'm not going to go into it, but you just look up studies on the comparison of teenagers, especially teenage girls, but teenage boys as well, the comparison, and adults, but the comparison of screen time with depression rates. Put it all on the table before the Lord. Don't minimize. Confess it and bring it to the Lord. So listen, I say this without any judgment in my voice, but a reality that if we're going to be a people, if I'm going to be a person or a pastor that prays from the gut, I want to be honest in my heartache. I want my heartache to be a mirror that I look at and it reflects me upward to the Lord. And I've got to be honest then where I'm caught because when I look to the Lord, now I see very clearly the areas of my life, more clearly, where I've been sandy on as a parent or as a pastor, as a spouse, as a friend, as a neighbor. And so what the Lord does in our life is we confess this. And what happens is the thanksgiving of God swallows up the shame that we experience in our lives. We take heart. Why? Because we remember that Jonah knows who the Lord is. Who is He? He tells us in chapter 4, verse 2. He is abounding in steadfast kindness. He is merciful. He is the Lord Yahweh. And we can say in the seasons of sand, we can stop and say, wait, wait, wait. wait. Lord, I want to build right now in this season. I can't go back in, in time. But right now, I can make a decision to found this upon Christ, the solid rock. Give me the courage to do so and the people in my life to do so. Because our God is good, isn't He? And He loves you in the depths of the whale as much as He loves you at any other time. That's how great our God is. Isn't He good? He's worthy of our lives and our priorities. This leads us thirdly to commit to abide in the Lord by His Word and for His glory before reaching dry land. That's an important part to catch. Jonah prays this. He recounts this and writes it for us. He didn't have a pen and stuff in the whale. Safe to say. But he recounts this prayer that he prayed before the Lord ever brought him to dry land. That speaks to us in our context of sandy seasons. Rejoice and commit your ways to the Lord before you ever reach dry land. The good news is we can say every sandy season, every moment of distress you find yourself in, the Lord will deliver it from you or deliver you from it. He promised never leave you nor forsake you. That's even better than being out of the whale is that the Lord is with him. Perhaps Jonah was wondering as he was in the whale, am I so deep down in the depths at the foot of the mountain in this water that the Lord cannot hear me? He tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, but could he do so? No. He cried out to the Lord from the belly of the whale and the Lord heard him just fine. 
And the Lord said, yes. Wherever you're at, the Lord hears you just fine. Call out to the Lord through Jesus Christ, a sure and perfect Savior, a deliverer in our hope of righteousness, our hope of heaven and life today. Bring to Him your sin. Bring to Him your desires and your goals, your relationships and your hope for the future and the very present. Bring to Him your shame. He is a sure foundation. Rest in the Lord, for Christ is our righteousness, our hope of glory. Jonah, right after speaking of the greatness of God, who does he speak about in verse 8? Did you see it? Look at verse 8. Who does he reference? Those who pay regard to idols? What's he describe about idols? They're vain. They're hollow. Not holy. They're weak. They're inept. What did the sailors do? Who did the sailors cry out to? They cried out to their gods. Psalm 96.5, all the gods of the nations are but idols. Their gods couldn't even stop the storm. But Yahweh is so great that He'll turn the whale into an Uber and bring him where he needs to go. This is just like Elijah, isn't it? The pagan priests will make their sacrifices and scream and do all this big mess, but nothing. Elijah prays and the Lord comes and licks up the water. The Lord is a sufficient Savior and foundation wherever you are in life, wherever your loved one is in life, wherever your prodigal child is in life. The Lord is a sure and sufficient Savior where they are. And we'll never know. There's always time, so never stop praying for them. Never stop reaching out to them. Never stop pursuing them. That's how great our God is. And so if today you've been wavering back and forth in which direction to go, let verse 8 break your heart. If you've not yet come to Christ, let verse 8 break your heart that you're trusting in vain idols or if you're trusting in yourself. You can't diversify your faith. Put a little faith in this, a little faith in this, a little faith in this. That's idolatry. Our faith belongs in the triune God, the One who loves us, who sustains us, who created us, who judges us, those who are in Christ as forgiven and holy and adopted. And how does he respond in this way in verse 9? How does he respond? You've got to look at verse 9. If you don't look at verse 9, so, so please, if, if you by chance tuned out earlier, now is the time to tune back in. So wake up your neighbor. Here we go. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of, say it, thanksgiving. Shame is swallowed by thanksgiving. Why? Because he's chosen at this point to build his life upon the sure rock and foundation of knowing and doing the word of the Lord, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's good news. Today, your shame can be swallowed by thanksgiving because of the goodness and faithfulness of our God. What did He commit to do? I will sacrifice to You, Lord. What I have vowed, I will pay. Lord, if You, if you do deliver me, I will indeed go speak to the people You called me to speak to. I will give them the Word. I will tell them about the Lord of salvation. The Lord who is just in all His ways. What's His confession? So another catechism question. To whom does salvation belong? 
How would the church answer at the end of verse 9? Salvation belongs to the Lord, to Yahweh. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it uh, projected up Jonah from out upon dry land. Perhaps you today have been a prodigal, or you have a loved one who's been a prodigal. In 3 John 4, John tells the church, I have no greater joy than hearing that my children are walking in the truth. Come to Christ and walk upon the way of the Lord. Come and commit yourself. Be known in our church family. Fill a connect card out. Come and and meet with a pastor, a ministry leader here at the end of the service. Let's pray with you and help connect you. Fill a connect card out. Dive into fellowship with the people of God to be and make disciples. And again, if you're a parent or you've been walking with the Lord for some time and you've led people to Christ and yet they're in seasons of wavering, pursue them. Never stop. Praying for them. Pray that the Lord would pursue them. If you're married to someone or you have a child that, that, is, that is wavering or if you're a child that has a parent that's wavered from the way of the Lord, aim to win them without a word. Aim to live a godly and winsome life committed to doing the way and word of the Lord. For He is a sure foundation. What a blessing if you should leave this place as one of those prodigals and find yourself walking in the way of the Lord as you live in a life of response to His word. Now, Jonah made his commitment from the belly of the fish before his feet ever hit dry land. Today, because the Lord is the Lord of our salvation, we as believers will be delivered from every trial in time. It's possible that the end of our trial will be our death. All right. Why can that be good news? Because Jesus actually has the authority to tell us, don't fear those that can only kill the body. Fear the one that can destroy both body and soul. Have you trusted in the one who made you? Do you know him? Israel certainly would have heard this and had a major point of reflection of understanding how God was even able to use the Assyrians. He was even able to use the Babylonians that would take them off into captivity and preserve them and then spit them back into the land. For the God always keeps his promises. He would indeed bring the Messiah. He would indeed bring the one who will sit on the throne of David for eternity. He always keeps His promises. Do you know the God who in His loving kindness always keeps His promises? Trust in His Word or choose a sandy way. The decision is sure today. Is He good? Let us be a people that pray from the gut. Next steps. Believer, God actively sustains us through Christ. And the Holy Spirit, He indwells us. So the question is, how does this highlight for us just how gracious and merciful and kind our God is? Just consider this past week in your life, where have you found yourself not being gracious? Where have you found yourself just wrestling in sin? And think of how kind and loving our Lord is. How ought that to inform each of us in this room? How should that inform our decisions? in our relationships, if you have grudges or hardships against another person or a people group, would you reconcile? Would you seek forgiveness? Would you humble yourself before the way of the Lord and say, Lord, I want to build this relationship to the best what I can do upon the rock of Christ. Number two, this is going to be a beautiful day today. I'm sure you've heard. How cool was last week, by the way? The weather was awesome. It was incredible. But today is going to be a beautiful day. A challenge for you. 
Would you get outside today at some point? Just get outside in God's creation. And consider that God is the one who is over the storms. He's over the fish. He's over the worm, as we'll see in chapter 4. He's over all of His creation. Romans chapter 8 tells us that creation still groans, and even as believers, groans within us, looking forward to the, the ultimate and final redemption, the day of the Lord, and the redemption of our bodies. But as you go out in creation, would you spend time today reflecting on God's kindness and goodness, that He is in control of even that, from the small little bird to the great and mighty Son. That's how great our God is. Worship the Lord and His creation this week. And number three, Jonah is right. Those who worship vain idols have no hope. Would you ask for the Lord to burden you and burden us, your church family, to pursue others that don't know Him with the way of life? Paul says, what should I do in this body of death? Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Thanks be to God. Let us respond in song now that Jesus indeed is better. Let's stand and sing together, church.